the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, we're all to allow God to allow us to be the light of His glory. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. For today's Core Truth, we are continuing our study in James chapter 5. These people here in chapter 5, They forgot what their purpose was. They were just living for themselves. How easy is that to do in this world? Live for yourselves? We're surrounded by money here on the west side of LA. I mean, there's a lot of rich people around here, okay? Might not be us, but they're around us, and we see what they have. And it's like, wow, it's pretty easy to be tempted to have some of the goods. It was the first century rendition of the lifestyles of the rich and famous is what James is dealing with here. He's dealing with the same people. They were under the delusion that you are what you buy. But the Bible says here in verse 1, weep and howl, your miseries are upon you. Whoa. Why? Because they were consumed with that which cannot and will not last. Does anything last? Again, we can take nothing with us. Nothing. Nothing goes with us. When we die, it's only us and what we did for Christ. That's all that goes with us. And instead of being a vessel that God could work in and through, these people here became selfish as they would hoard everything for themselves. I wonder if that describes anybody here. Yes, acquiring wealth can become a self-destructing curse. As it says in verse 3, it can eat your flesh like fire. Consider Michael Jackson. Was he not one of the most popular entertainers of all time? I mean, who who can you put up in that stratosphere? I mean, Elvis, the Beatles. I mean, it's like, I mean, he's up there on, you know, counting on one hand. Michael Jackson, it says that he earned somewhere where like $1.5 billion in his lifetime. That's a lot of money. Maybe it was more than that. Maybe... That's just what they semi-tracked. Who who knows how much it was? Yet when he died, he was 400 million in debt. How is that even possible? How, How is that even possible? Because money could never fill inside. And he would just buy, 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 buy. It was never enough. And he died a miserable man addicted to drugs with all kinds of legal battles. He was seeking for happiness, was he not? just like we all are, but he was seeking for happiness in all the wrong places. We should all reconsider what Jesus said. Matthew 16, 26, for what does a man be profited if he were to gain the whole world, but yet forfeit or lose his own soul? Like, 
What does it matter how much you're up? Bill Gates or, you know, Amazon man. You know, it's like, you know, Bezos, whatever his name is. And it's like, it's like, I mean, it's worth like 200 billion. You know, Bill Gates is like, what, 125 billion, 150 billion, whatever. I mean, does it even matter at that point? I mean, it's like, oh my goodness. It's like, what does a man profit if you had everything you could buy times 100, times 1,000, times 10,000, but you forfeit or lose your own soul. But, I mean, how much truth is in that statement? Because God knows. Yes, we're all to allow God to allow us to be the light of his glory. God wants to use us. We have a purpose, and it's to allow him to shine in and through us to this dark world that we live in. That can happen in many ways. And how we share with those in need, it matters. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew six nineteen in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is where your heart will be also. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't buy a new car. This doesn't mean that you can't enjoy nice vacations. Again, we already seen that in Ecclesiastes, it's good for a man or a woman to work hard and enjoy the fruit of your labor. But we have to understand, we can't just store up for the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. We also have to be this willing vessel to share with others in many other ways, not just financially. It's our time. It's our experience. We're called to share in word and deed. So where is your treasure here today? Because we're called to share in word and in deed the goodness of God. But if we fail to do this, then we fail in our stewardship of the life that God has given us. I hope that makes sense to you. Which brings up our second point, being judged. Let's read what he goes on to say, picking up in verse four. Behold, the pay of a laborer who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you, you're not paying your workers here, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and had a life of wanton pleasure and have fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man, and he does not resist you. So now we're talking about the people. Now it's like you become so much about you, you don't even pay your bills on time or you try to shortchange people. Now listen, here at the church, you know, we're negotiators. Every time we have something, I don't know if you notice, we just painted the whole front of the church here and painted this rail in the back here. We're always trying to do stuff here to the church. And every time we have something done, we get multiple quotes and we negotiate. You know, me and Pastor Shannon, he's our administrative pastor. It's like, we negotiate. It's like every time he shows me a bill, Shannon, I think you can get some more off of that. And he does, he goes back and he gets some more off. <laughs> it's like, and it's like, and, and, and we, you know, we negotiate. We're shrewd people to deal with. But once we agree to a price, we pay the price and we don't hold back and we pay on time. 
And every time someone tries to, you know, nickel us for something extra, it's like, no, not going to happen. When we were doing our building here, we had a new roof put on uh, when we were first, uh, when we first bought the building. And a roofer came to me and said, yes, you know, we're going to do this roof for, you know, whatever it was. I forget how much it was. I think it was like $70,000 or something like that. But I think the next closest quote was like 85000 whatever it was. He was about 15000 less. And so we went with him because he said, look, you can take up to three months to pay me. Well, we got the roof done and we paid him off in like three weeks. We paid the whole thing because God was supplying and we were just paying those who, who worked with us and we paid him off early. About two years later, maybe three years later, he started spreading that we owed him like 15000 or something. I went back, pulled every single receipt, had our accountant, Cindy, go back, go through boxes. We pulled everything, the contract, the everything, every check we paid him. And it was every single penny because I am not going to be blamed for not paying someone what they're worthy to be paid. And so, and that's how we all have to be. And sometimes, you know, and I will say this, sometimes people do work for the church and it's shoddy work. And you get, and you're, you, it's overpriced. And that's happened to us a couple times. It doesn't happen often because we're really shrewd. But there's been a couple times like, you're charging me how much? And it's like, okay. And we just write the check because I'm not going to sit there and shortchange someone. If they overcharge us, that's between them and the Lord, and the Lord will take care of them. But what he's saying here is we have to pay our bills. So here's the judgment these rich people were not paying their employees. They were just deepening their own pockets, and now God's calling them out. This can be looked at in two different ways. Number one, the most obvious, if we have someone that does work for us, pay them what they deserve. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5.18, the laborer is worthy of his wage. We are to pay, and we are to pay on time, not late. We're told in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 14, it says, you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your countrymen or he's an alien who is in your land uh, at doing the work. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and he sets his heart on it so that he may not cry against you to the Lord and it become a sin for you. And so you, hey, you pay the bills. And this is what's wonderful. We've had a lot of people do work here. And there's one particular contractor. He put in all the cabinets in the children's classrooms and the countertops and everything. He's done work at my house. He's done work at Pastor Kevin's house. And he's done a lot of work here. And it's like, we love to give work for, to him. And when, and when people come and ask me, hey, do you know anyone that does this? It's like, yes, use this guy because he's done such a wonderful job. And if you know a Christian that does good work, spread the word because they deserve to get the work. But we're not to short the deserving of any wages that are owed to them. And then number two, how much should we not shortchange anybody in real need spiritually? There are those that are in need of encouragement. There are those that are in need of help. Have you ever had a bad day? <laughs> it's like saying, well, yeah, is there never traffic on the 405? I mean, yeah, I mean, of course we've all had a bad day, every one of us. And what an encouragement it is to you and to me if someone sees us in that time and they come and give us an unsolicited, uplifting word from God's word to us. 
The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 23, a man has joy in an apt answer and how delightful is a timely word. Have you ever had a timely word? Hey, maybe you came to church, something happened, whatever, and someone's, hey, brother, man, God laid you on my heart. I've been praying for you this week. Oh, really? Oh, thank you. I, I had no idea someone was praying for me. Proverbs 25, 11, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. This is why it's good to get to know each other. You know, don't just rush out of here. Man, having one or two Christian friends that can pray for you in a time of need is a great thing to have. Yes, what a joy it is when we are on the receiving end of a timely word of encouragement. So let me ask you today, is there anybody that you know that is in need of an uplifting word? Is there anybody that you know that you can just throw out a text to? Someone that you could just kind of reach out to. Is there anyone that you could pray for? Anyone who's going through a tough time right now? Anyone whose life has kind of hit the wall? Well, if you know of a person like that, be willing to come alongside of them. Be that person who is willing to help out. I remember when we were living on the East Coast, we went through like this three and a half year period of time that, I mean, we were buying clothes for our kids at the thrift store. I mean, it was just a really difficult time. And I was running about a thousand to $1,500 short every month. So I was out doing side jobs and whatever. But, you know, you always get to those moments where there's just, you know, you've exhausted everything and you have nothing. You ever hit those times? It's just you exhausted everything and there's just, there's nothing else to grab onto. And I remember we had no food, no anything, no money. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how we're going to feed our family. And I remember I went to the front door and I was going outside and there was groceries on our doorstep. I have no idea to this day who put those groceries there, but I can tell you what, God laid it on somebody's heart and they listened. How many times has God pulled on your heartstrings? You know, talk to this person, encourage this person. Walking by someone at the mall, sitting on a bench, and you know, like maybe you should talk to. I'm chicken down. Okay, whatever. It's like I'm so glad that person listened, because we had nothing. I mean, those groceries. When I showed my wife, we just wanted to cry. It was like, wow, because it's a twofold blessing. One. We get to eat. And as you know, I'm an eating machine. So that was important, okay? <laughs> we got to eat, number one. But really, that's number two. Number one was like, God, you didn't forsake us. Wow. You knew we had a need. Nobody else knew, but you knew and you made it happen. Understand, God uses us, you and me, to reach out to others in need. We are his hands at times. We are his feet. We are the ones that point people to the place where they can find deliverance from their guilt and their shame and their sin. For only in a relationship with Jesus can a man or woman be forgiven of their past. Do you know anyone who's guilt-ridden of their past, things that they've done? Only God can forgive them. For God sees what no one else can see. You know, remember the Bible says in Jeremiah 2.22, although you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your iniquity is before me, declares the Lord. God sees everyone's sin. And everyone that you know is living in sin, guess what? God sees it and he knows all about it. Yes, these people were guilty of holding back the, uh, from the deserving only to have more for themselves. But let's be perfectly clear. This is not giving to those who are slack and lazy. God doesn't just want us to go give to the slack and the lazy. You know, it's like, 
you know, we have all these people in uh, L.A. here, all the homeless, you know, homeless in campus everywhere. Everyone's got their hand out. Everyone's got their hand out. You know, it was just the other uh, couple weeks ago, you know, me and John were, Pastor John were in the office there, and a guy hits me up at the door, and he's got a cup with some change in it. He goes, hey, man, you got some change for me, you know? Just the typical thing that we're all faced with on a daily basis. And I said, if I put change in that cup, are you going to drink it? Yes. I'm not putting any money in your cup but we did buy him lunch. So he got, he got lunch. But it's like, I'm not giving money to the sluggard. I'm not giving money to those that are gonna use it. You know, I'm not gonna help enable them in their alcoholism, okay? Look at all the people that are not going to work now. We have, we have restaurants that are not fully open. We have businesses that can't fully run. We have construction workers that are not fully there because, because our government is giving free handouts. Don't do it. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. And that's what the Bible teaches. So if you're a believer and you're milking the system, it's like the Bible says, if you're not working when you can, then you shouldn't eat. Obviously, he's not talking about those with disabilities. He's not talking about those with health issues that can't work. That's a whole separate thing. But if you're able-bodied and you're staying home milking the paycheck from the free government handout that they're trying to get another, what, $3 trillion to give handouts to. It's like, that's the problem with our whole country. It's like, well, everyone else is doing it. It doesn't matter. You're a Christian. And this certainly isn't talking about, again, people, you know, who have hobbies or take vacations and they've been good stewards of their money. Again, we can, you know, we can enjoy the fruit of our labor, but there must be a balance. And that's everything in the scripture. There has to be a balance. And when God says in Malachi that we have robbed him, Boy, that should open up all of our ears. What, I'm robbing God? Where did I rip off God? Well, he tells us about ripping him off. You know, listen to what he said about those that don't bring in the tithes to the church. And the tithes are what? The word tithe means a tenth. It's, God says, you're to bring 10% of your income to the church. Now, listen, if you don't want to give money here at the church, don't. This isn't a ploy to give money. This is what I'm telling you of what God says about stewardship. So it's up to you because really, does God need any of our money? I mean, really? I mean, he owns everything already anyway. So when he tells us to bring 10% to the church, what is he saying? It's all about obedience. Are you going to obey me in this is what it comes down to. Because if, if you don't want to, then don't. Because if you were to give money at this church and you didn't want to in your heart, you're not benefiting yourself at all. So if you have guilt dollars, oh, here's guilt dollars. The offering's coming by guilt dollars. It's like, there's no blessing for that. God wants us to give out of an obedient heart. This is what he says in Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. It's amazing how the Catholic church in some areas will say, you only have to bring in 5% instead of 10%. That's not what God said. What are you, lowering God's standard here all of a sudden? Well, our people don't make as much in this area. Doesn't matter. This is what God said. You never take away from what he said. Bring the whole tithe, he says, into the storehouse. So there may be food in my house, talking about the church, to test me. Test me now in this, he says, says the Lord. If I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing until it overflows. Wow. So think about, so God's saying, look, I'm going to test you in this to see if you're going to be obedient. And you can test me in this to see if I will do what I said. 
So when you bring in that 10% in here, I will make sure that you will never be not without. And by the way, when I was sharing the thing about the groceries and everything, when we had nothing, we always tithe. We tithe through that. We tithe before we ate. People said, people have said to me, I can't afford to tithe. And I'm like, well, you can't afford not to tithe. And I was doing that before I was the pastor. Okay. It's like I was doing that before because it's like we obeyed this. And then he goes on to say, not only will I open up the heavens of the windows of heaven for you, he says in verse 11 of Malachi 3, then I will rebuke the devourer for you. Oh my goodness, what is that worth? Rebuke the devourer? Rebuke Satan in my life? Thank you. What is that worth? Listen, you don't want to give her, don't give her. This isn't a ploy to give. You know, we don't have little wallet cameras, you know, and the seat cameras, and what's in your wallet? You know, no, this is obedience. This is obedience. Know this, for all those who give freely of their time and of their resources in the name of the Lord, God will never be your debtor, ever. He will always meet your needs abundantly. And like we looked at earlier, there will be treasure waiting for you in heaven. That's the only kind of treasure. You don't take anything here, nothing with you. The only thing you take to heaven is your spirit and whatever you did for Jesus. Nothing else. Everything else stays. Which brings up our final point, being patient. Let's read what he says in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, The former waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, but it gets to the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not complain, brethren, against one another that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Wow, three times. In three verses, we're told two things. Number one, be patient, be patient, be patient. Three times. And number two, the Lord is coming. He is at the clouds. He's he's standing at the door. Three times that he is coming. But once he saw, you know, we have to remember here, again, James was Jesus' half-brother. This is not Peter, James, and John, James. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He didn't believe Jesus was Messiah at first. I'm sure that his mother Mary was saying, oh no, I'm telling you, uh, we had you because me and your father Joseph came together. But Jesus, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit came upon me. He's God's anointed. He's the Messiah. Well, James wasn't buying it. He didn't believe it. But once he saw Jesus dead on the cross, Once he saw the risen Lord after he rose from the dead three days later, James became a solid believer and a leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was present on the Mount of Olives when Jesus ascended into heaven. He watched Jesus rise into glory. People will question the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. But understand, Jesus stayed in Jerusalem for 40 days after he rose again from the dead. He was seen by as many as 500 people at one time alone. When Jesus was writing this, hundreds of people had already seen the risen Lord and they were still alive. And when Jesus did ascend into heaven, as soon as he was out of sight, what did the two angels say? In Acts 1.11, they said, men of Galilee and women, there was women there too, Why do you stand here looking up in the sky? 
It's kind of like when you ever let a, a balloon, a hot air balloon go up, and you're like, oh, I can, I can see it. It's right there. Where? I can't see it anymore. No, it's right. I still see it. it. It's gone. Okay. Anyway, that's what they were doing. So these, these angels are like, what are you looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, he's going to come just the same way as you have watched him go to heaven. He's coming back. He's coming back. Yes, Jesus is coming again. He will descend from heaven. But until then, we must be patient. The word patient is used here three times. And in the original language, it specifically speaks to one being patient and bearing the offenses of others. Not general hardships, the offenses of others. But that's why we are not only to endure their misery without lashing back to them, but we're to be stewards of the light, to spread the joy of the Lord in this dark world that we live in. And what better joy could any of us spread than Jesus is coming back? That's why James says it three times in three verses. Know this, heaven is waiting for us who believe. Remember, Jesus talked more about judgment than he did about heaven. Now, why would he do that? He didn't want us to be in the dark. He wanted us to point everyone to heaven. That's all the time we have for this message. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by an a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app and online at corechurchla.org. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.